0: Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Uncancelled and Unplugged, the podcast that brings to you experts and uh, uh, practitioners who had anticipated to various degrees to being in live audiences, in front of a live audience right now, sharing their insights and experiences. But due to COVID-19 and the, the cancellation of uh, effectively all live events, um that isn't possible so uh through this podcast we're bringing you some of those ideas and and people i'm very glad to have with me today uh, peter mcbride uh who i first met back in 2015 when i was working in the area of a, work- a workplace mental health conference and um, peter kindly joined us um came away from northern ireland over to canada to talk about the work that he'd been doing with um uh post uh post-conflict uh, mental health in the community in in northern ireland uh, peter's worked uh, for many decades as a uh, in the mental health services and specialized in post-conflict uh, mental health and i thought it'd be great to have him here today to talk about that work they've that done in northern ireland and how that uh, what lessons we'll learn from that that might apply in terms of covid and what to expect uh, as we move from uh, sort of a strict lockdown situation to sort of more liberal uh, liberal environment, so uh, welcome, Peter. Uh, delighted you could join us, and if you could um, start by just uh, uh, outlining some of that work you did in Northern Ireland and 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 what you found out about how how conflicts can affect the mental health of a community.
1: Sure, John. It,
0: it is really great to
1: join you. I'm really I'm really excited to be talking to you today um I have worked in Northern Ireland for the last almost well 20 years over 20 years I started off in in bereavement um, services in the voluntary sector in the community sector and for the last 20 or so years I've worked in a mental health organization I was the chief executive of it uh, and that organization provided community-based mental health services so mostly the people who had been through uh, the psychiatric system had diagnosed mental illnesses uh, and we're now trying to live successfully in the community. Uh, and and the, the, the bit that I became particularly interested in, and this tracks back to my time when I was working in bereavement in Northern Ireland, when I, I worked for an organisation called CRUISE, and I noticed that people who had been bereaved as a consequence of the trouble, the violence in Northern Ireland that lasted from about 1968, 69 through to uh, 1998 with the Good Friday Agreement, the people who had been bereaved as a consequence of trauma grieved differently. In fact, their grief was incredibly complicated. Uh, and that got me interested in the whole relationship between uh, trauma and mental health, how the experience of trauma affected people, certainly their grief reaction, but how it also affected their ongoing mental health. So uh, in my work in Northern Ireland, I, I, be- I became aware of the impact of those um, 30 years of violence on the mental health not just of individuals but i came, became very interested in the mental health of the whole population and the conclusion that i came to at the at, in latterly in the last couple of years is that while individuals experience trauma in a particular way and um, groups of people do as well so groups of people are capable communities are capable of holding on to trauma And indeed, that phenomenon is one of the things that makes it really difficult for a society to move from uh, a war situation or a conflict situation or a high level of trauma situation to peace. In other words, uh, that the experience of trauma compromises those peacemaking capacities that, that communities need to have. And I would argue that is exactly the position that Northern Ireland finds itself in now. We've had over 20 years since the Good Friday Agreement. And yet, as I sit here talking to you now, I still live in a divided society, one where people live in separate areas, they go to separate churches, they go to separate schools based on religion, uh, they read separate newspapers based on religion. The fundamental and and, and really um, destructive division that resulted in violence over 30 years still exists and genuine reconciliation has not been able to be uh hasn't been able to be found and i I would maintain that one of the things that gives energy to that one of the things that maintains that division are the symptoms of trauma that are experienced certainly by individuals but also by the community here
0: so when you look at the landscape now with COVID-19 that's not yeah. a, a conflict situation but it's nevertheless one where um, you know there are uh, certainly sort of uh, I've heard you know seen articles describing the sort of second pandemic uh, of mental health uh, mm-hmm. that we, we we should expect to see uh, increases in suicide rates is another yeah. thing and, and domestic violence uh, another there's obviously a lot of, of, of mental health related stuff going on how, how does the COVID-19 experience do you think what are the similarities with with what you saw in Northern Ireland?
1: Well, so so while the, so there there are similarities and there are differences. So in terms of the similarities in Northern Ireland, um, the conflict here was particular in the sense that over the course of um, thirty odd years, um, four thousand people were killed. So so in real terms, that's not a huge number when you look at genocides and atrocities in other places in the world. But for a small population and over such a protracted period of time. It was significant because it it affected everybody it was an intractable violence so wherever you lived in northern ireland uh, you when you were going out uh, in the in the morning to go off to work um, you could not be sure that you would not be a person who was a, who was going to be impacted by a bomb or whatever and i think that that's one of the similarities with the, with with the virus and um, there is certainly a risk to life so i think that um, we now know enough about how serious this is to understand that that you know this could kill us or this could kill me if i personalize it if i got it so it is a risk to my life and it's a risk to the lives of those that i love uh, and it's something that i have no control over so while i can take precautions uh, i i am vulnerable to the invisibility of this virus and to uh, uh, yeah, and to me catching it in some way that that i have got absolutely no control over and the and the consequences of that so if you look at the issues around so in Northern Ireland what happened with this was that during the course of the troubles while the threat was around actually mental health wasn't talked about a lot and um, the suicide rate was not particularly high when the conflict was on it was when the conflict was over uh, and after a number of years that the suicide rate started to go up and people started to talk about it and um, so I would argue that the the issue of the, the mental health legacy of this situation with the Covid virus is going to be one that has a long tail to it. So once you know, once this is over, and hopefully it will be in the next six months or a year, or so there will be a vaccine find, and and we as a as a global community will have much more confidence in our ability to manage it. Uh, the mental health consequences of it will will trail on for years to come, um uh, because that's the nature of things. It's it's how it's how that happens. And that manifests itself. If you look at the issue that you mentioned of domestic violence, there are two components to that. One is that when people are forced to live in close proximity to each other as a lockdown inevitably uh, causes if there are if there's abuse in a relationship or uh, uh, or if there are difficulties in a the relationship then the normal routes that people have to escape aren't present for them. so that's why in this current situation the rates of domestic violence have gone up and have been reported quite significantly uh, a lot a lot more significantly higher. Um, in terms of mental illness, Uh, as a consequence of being locked down people's normal coping strategies are often not able to be exercised so you know if I manage my mental health by exercising or by going out and meeting other people or by going to the gym or or whatever or going and seeing my therapist and I'm not able to do that anymore then the things that are keeping that have in the past kept me well uh, are now uh, are now gone and I'm and I'm having to cope by myself, and then add in on top of that, the additional existential threat that people feel as a consequence of this. You know, threat to their own lives, threat to the lives of the ones that they love. I have a son, uh, I live here in Northern Ireland, but I have a son who lives in New York, uh, and I worry about him. You know, I, I sort of see on the news what's going on. It reminds me of when I was a kid, and I used to uh, sit and watch the news when I came home from school, and um, my father worked in Belfast, and I used to watch the news, and see that a bomb had gone off in Belfast, and wonder, wonder, is Daddy okay? Well, I feel the same about my son whenever I see sort of the ambulances raking around the streets of New York and hear how bad it is, and just wonder if he's okay. So I think there's a lot so, of that going on.
0: Yeah, no, and I'm thinking about that 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 idea of sort of you know going out, you go out yeah. of the house and you don't know what's going to happen. Just little things like you know going grocery shopping. It's suddenly, suddenly yeah. all these sort of rules about where you stand and wearing a mask and blah, 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 blah. I mean, and, and, and I sort of joked when I got home the other day. So, you know, that, it's great because I, I, I get in as a 60. I get in early in the morning. It's nice and quiet. There's virtually no one there. But it's also a very sort of spooky and scary environment where if you sort of, it sort of brings it home that you're, you know, there is that, there is that sort of existential threat.
1: But also, I think that there's another sinister part of that, which is that other people become the enemy. So other people become the vehicle of that threat. Um, so you know we go t- and and if someone we go to the shops and if someone stands a bit too close to us or someone coughs nearby, you know yes. I can feel myself getting anxious. And I've seen, I mean, I I got shouted at the other day uh, because I happened to walk past a, a person too too closely when when I was out shopping. So again, it's created a degree of paranoia, hostility, uh, a bit of aggression uh, between strangers. Where people perceive one another as the threat. So this invisible virus that floats around in the atmosphere, it, it somehow becomes incarnated in people around us. Uh, and we we find ourselves being frightened of people uh, who getting too close to us.
0: And that's not so this, that's not healthy. No, this is what this is a sort of hypervigilance that one it sees is, yeah. in, uh, in in yes. PTSD uh, it is. uh people particularly so it's interesting you should mention about that i think that that worry about your your son and in 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 new york um and then also referencing your own experience as a child Mm
1: -hmm. uh
0: you know wondering what's you know what's where's daddy when's he when's he coming home etc the the this is going to impact different generations differently i mean i've got i've got your very young grandchildren uh, one one's 12 actually so he's he's sort of trying to negotiate what's going on the others are sort of babies and and don't really obviously have much of a sense of, of, of the world beyond their, their 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 little environment um do you want to maybe talk a little bit about maybe the impact on children for instance i mean what, what would your work in your line indicate might be a an, an, a an impact to expect on them
1: well, there's a lot of there's a lot of research now that shows the, the direct impact on uh, the generate generations of trans sort of intergenerational uh, communication of trauma, for example, uh, and it's not actually that the, the specific experiences are communicated, but it is the some of the symptoms uh, are experienced by children and by by grandchildren. Um, because it's it passed down epigenetically and in, in conversation with their parents and grandparents. So the, the, for me, the key bit of this is that a child is exposed to the possibility of existential threat, that, the, that a child can find themselves worrying about whether they are going to live or die or whether their mums and dads are going to live or die. And that is a very conflict um, particular experience So children who grew up in war zones. When I was growing up, up in Northern Ireland, one of my anxieties was whether my mom and dad were going to be alive at the end of the day from the start of the day now that's not normal that that is only you only experience that uh, really when you live in an environment where there is a there's a very visible and active threat i would argue now that threat is universal most children if they've got any understanding of what's going on will have a sense that this that this virus could do them and do their family a lot of harm and indeed i mean i i I think that one of the realities of this is that many, because of the number of people who have actually died, that there are families now who have the experience of grief and bereavement uh, in the midst of this, where that has been their, their reality. They have lost someone close to them. Um, their grieving has been compromised because of the nature of that loss, because of the access they have been denied, if you like, to the both the dying process and to the, 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 the rituals around, um, death that, we're, that we've all become normal to. And that I would argue that that after this is passed, if you think of some of the mental health legacies, one of them is going to be, I think, a lot of very complex grief reactions because people have not been able or allowed or facilitated to grieve properly um, the losses that they've experienced. Uh, and I think that's that is that's equally true for children. So the bit about children is just the children will have an added layer of an anxiety as young children that they would not necessarily have if this hadn't happened, and I think we need to watch carefully for that into the future.
0: So, so when you when you were talking about about Northern Ireland uh, previously, you said you know that that, that and obviously you were looking at a, a uh, you know a decades long conflict yeah. versus the the COVID piece that is it, that obviously yeah. going to be yeah you know, even worst case scenario is it, a couple of years. Um, but you said you know that, that that no one was really talking about mental health then, and yeah. the sort of mental health issue sort of just arose as a as a as, a, as, a, as an afterthought. But certainly after the the, the 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 it became a focus of attention once the Good Friday Agreement was signed yeah. and the sort of road to peace was was mapped out and things started healing. And I accept that what well, you're saying that it's still a it's still a, a, a fissured society. Yeah. Uh, presumably, one advantage we have now is that we are talking about the mental health issues. Yeah. So yeah. that presumably is important. What else do you think people can do to sort of insulate themselves from some of these um, potential uh, problems as as we move forward? I, I think in the same way as as each of us will know about our physical
1: health, what our strengths and weaknesses are, we need to think about what helps us feel resilient in terms of our mental health and do do more of it. So uh, everybody's different in this regard. And me- mental health is more complicated to talk about because it is, and on the one hand it's a very personal thing you know personal resilience people will feel some people will just fly through this and it won't affect them at all and they'll get over it and they'll move on and and, and it'll be fine and for others it will affect them quite profoundly and i think personal um, self awareness and insight understanding ourselves understanding our own our own emotional life and our emotional well-being and what things that we can do personally to help uh, and uh, the things that we need to avoid um it's, it's really important to know that. So the kind of things that um, typically people will talk about are making sure that we're getting enough uh, exercise. Uh, it's one of the things that uh, certainly in the UK where I live, um, it's been one of the permissions that we've always had. So lockdown, stay in your house, except you can go out once a day or twice a day for a walk or, or for a run or whatever it is that you do and exercise. That's always important. Being able to talk about how what's going on. Um, I I think it's incredibly important to find a language to talk about how this feels the one advantage of this situation John I think is that um, this is a virtually universal experience I mean we are all going through inverted commas the same thing you know we're all facing the same struggles I I have to say that for some people um, who have experienced say the loss of a family member of the loss of someone close then that then that experience is one of profound loss and grief and sadness. Whereas for others, it is about, it is simply, and I put myself in this category, this is simply somebody's taken away my freedom for six weeks or seven weeks. You know, that, that, I'll get over that. that. That's not the end of the world for me. But there are many people in this who have, who have, who have been affected really profoundly because they either themselves have got sick, or, or in fact, they've, lo- they've lost someone close to them. So, so I do think it's different for different people. And I think we need to understand and acknowledge that, and acknowledge that as a society. There is something about, when I was saying about Northern Ireland at the start, I was saying that I think the difference in what I'm talking about, because I don't hear a lot of people talking back to me about this, is about the community experience versus the individual experience. So we will all have had different individual experiences of the COVID virus and, and how it's affected us as individuals and maybe our families and the people that we love. For us to move on as a society we need to have a whole society approach to recovery uh, we need as a society to agree a narrative about how we describe this, how we talk to our children about this uh, how we agree the narrative um that for for us as a society you know moving forward getting over it and um, helping those ones helping those members of our society who are grieving and have been hurt by it and moving on. So that whole society approach is really important as well as the individual. one. And making sure in relation to your question about mental health, making sure that there is a, a continuing acknowledgement that there will be a mental health legacy to this that is more than indifferent to just the immediate mental health reaction to. It. So when this is over, uh, there will be mental health consequences to this for adults and individuals, but also for children. And we need to we need to plan for that and look at resources for that over the coming years. Um, yeah, I just want to
0: kind of. Uh... Dig a little deeper into that notion that that we're, we're this is a universal experience, yeah. um, and and uh, on one level it is. You know, COVID is in every country in the world, and and uh, you know, so here in North America, yeah. most jurisdictions have applied similar sort of controls on people to to varying degrees, but but essentially the same. Um, but it has been experienced differently by different communities. Uh, you know, communities of color in in, in the US yeah. uh, have been have been worse hit. People in frontline jobs uh again uh w- w- effective worse the poor mm-hmm. um you know there are th- this this has exposed differences in yeah. in our society well, ex- say exposed I think we maybe we, may we, we knew they were there but but but, yeah. but they're being brought you know they're being being uh becoming much clearer in view and and the cost of those I mean that's going to have a, a an impact in terms of how the stories we tell and the narrative we give this afterwards and and the mental health impact surely. Yeah, well, it
1: absolutely will and I, uh, what I what i meant when i said it was universal was that the, the the kind of enemy is universal how it affects individuals and groups as i mentioned particularly with individuals varies deeply i think there's a challenge that we face in this which is how we unite around it because I, my I, my worry when i look at how it's portrayed and what is actually happening with this is it has the potential to be extremely divisive so it has it has exposed huge inequalities i mean the there has been a lot of research in the last 15-20 years about health inequality, uh, and it, it's been one of the bases that I've been arguing for the last 20 years for an increase in particular services because um, because they will target those who are who are uh, the, the subject of a health inequality, and it, it kind of balances the things about coronavirus has laid bare the inequality in healthcare provision and the inequality that 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 many people and many ethnic groups face Um, and i think that the danger with this is that we end up with uh, a deeply a society that is even more divided than it started with because of uh, because of what coronavirus has done Uh, and, and when i talk about a whole society approach i think it's about finding a way of in a fair and equitable and honorable way uh, recognizing that we've all been affected by this but perhaps more have been affected than others and we need to make we need to make redress for that
0: well 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 those among us who sort of breezed through this fairly simply and i know we were talking um, um we were talking earlier about um uh you know I'd, I'd come across this report and I'd, I don't want to go into great detail because I'm not quite sure where it came from I think it was UCL of uh, 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 many people experiencing a, a lifting of mood in in this environment is there is there going to be a feeling of guilt do you think among some groups that that you know I I kind of went through it I actually had lots of work I I you know I lost a few pounds I read a few books and uh and uh and, and got to shop in peace at the, at the supermarket and and so, therefore, feel some sort of guilt going forward, or is that? Uh, I, I,
1: I think there's both the possibility. I think it's certainly the possibility of that. I think if people are sensitive to it, and they, you know, one of the things, one of the things that I have not experienced, so because I haven't, I'm not meeting anybody. I haven't talked to anybody who has lost someone close to them. So when this all opens up again. And I start meeting up with people again I'm going to start meeting people who will tell me the stories of their loss and I will find myself affected by that and I'm sure I will feel guilty about uh, perhaps feel guilty about you know getting through this okay or being relatively okay for me the other possibility is blame uh, the other possibility is individuals who have suffered and have been on the front line and have made huge sacrifices uh, feeling unappreciated and blaming uh, other people in society who weren't affected at all. So so I think, you know, I think it's going to feel different when we can all start talking again. Uh, but at the minute, you know, when you are in isolation or living in, with a very limited amount of contact, you kind of create your own bubble. You know, your reality is what you see around you and what the people around you are saying. Uh, once that bubble is burst, when you are able to genuinely encounter Others who've been directly involved or who have directly suffered or who have, uh, you know, who are, who are in, who have had a very, very different experience to you. Then I think that's when the, that's when you start to kind of form a, a more authentic, realistic version of it. Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and, and one other thing I'd like to just, just touch, on, touch on briefly, I think, is um, uh, an earlier guest on, on this show, mary Ann Baton, who I, I think you met when you, when yeah. you were in, uh, in Canada a few years ago. Um, she talked very briefly about this notion of sort of post-traumatic growth, about how, um, uh, you know, and often when one, when, one, when one looks at the sort of individual biographies of people, of, 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 people who are who are leaders amongst us who sort of stand out in some way they frequently have a, a you know a, an event in their life that was that was traumatic that in that has made them who they are and, and yeah. contributed to their their success and their and, and their ability to um you know for, for compassion for empathy and, and all those things is that um you know do you want to maybe say a yeah. few words about that yeah. that idea yeah
1: i mean post-traumatic is uh, is most post-traumatic growth is a very real phenomenon and, and it's but it's very it's a very it's one that you, we need to be very cautious talking about um, so if you are talking to someone who is in the midst of a trauma or is in the process of recovery from trauma then talking about growth as a consequence of this is uh, it can be can be really galling and very very difficult um, but nevertheless what you say is true that for many people having survived trauma and having developed the resiliences that are required in order to thrive after a, a trauma uh, they find themselves in a stronger position. So that old adage, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, um, to a large extent is true if people engage with it in, in a in a proactive way. Now, the challenge that we face as a society is what does post-traumatic growth look like for a society? And I can tell you what it would look like. It would be a society starting to say, we have learned our lesson from what from this experience. We have learned a lesson that uh, we need to make sure that we provide for the most weak, weakest and vulnerable in our in our midst. We need to make sure that we uh, have enough stockpiles of things to make sure this doesn't happen again. We need to take seriously the impact on the environment. Uh, we need to learn from all the things that have, um, that have surprised us coming out of this in a good way and do something about it. And, and when people say, you know, it'll be good to be able to get back to normal, for me, that will be the biggest failure of all uh, in our response to this, if we just go back to the way things were. Uh, this crisis has presented us with an opportunity to fundamentally decide that we will do certain things differently. And, and, it, and I would say that there's enough sort of psychic energy, if, it, if you like, you know, there's enough pain and suffering and, and angst associated with it that should motivate us as societies to make some fairly fundamental changes about healthcare provision, how we treat our healthcare providers all of the sorts of things that are are so much now part of the rhetoric around uh, dealing with the coronavirus
0: yeah it's certainly something i see um yeah you know, in my reading is is that is very much that feeling that uh, and i think everyone sort of struggles with the phrase you know back to normal and yeah. and we all want to get back to normal but that but not but not in the sense like you say of, of things being the way they were before yeah. but back to a sort of a a a track that includes you know being able to sit down in a restaurant and, and meet with your family and and give your friends a hug and yeah. and have uh, a ceremony like like uh, around bereavement and stuff all those kind of things but now absolutely, sort, of, sort of address some of the the inequities and and injustices that that this that the the covid has shone, shone such a such a bright light on right. um, Sorry. And I suppose that when you asked me at the start about what the direct equations
1: were with Northern Ireland, one of the things that I would be a bit critical uh, of what happened here, about what happened here is that there was a sense of uh, a sense of um, celebration with the Good Friday Agreement in 1998. And then the language that we're using now kicked in. People said, right now we want, that's great. That's over. We now want to get back to normal or we want to now have normal lives. Uh, and the problem with that was that that in, in, speaking like that or in the attitude with that was to not fully acknowledge the mental health impact that those years of violence had. had. So the corollary of that in this current situation is when the threat is gone, when the vaccine, we find a vaccine, when travel opens up and and, uh, and we no longer feel this sense of threat, the danger is we go, well, thank goodness that's over. Uh, Let's just get on with our lives. And we don't fully acknowledge and um, the impact that this experience has had on us as a society or as the various societies that there are on the on the mental health consequences of it uh on and on the need for learning and i think that's a real risk because there is all this pressure and i'll put the word political on it because for politicians there's a real desire to want to, to You know sort of name their response to this as a success and get society back to normal and back to functioning and all the rest of it Uh, and and i would have said that in northern ireland there has been a bit of an anxiety around dealing with the past because it is perceived to complicate or compromise the present Uh, and i think that's a misreading of it but actually the way people deal with the present and the future is by is by dealing with the past putting it to bed getting rest you know helping the people that need help in order for us as a whole society to move on uh, and and i think we are i hope that it doesn't happen with coronavirus but you know past experience would would lead me to worry about it that we think right good that's over now we move on and we'll just deal with the next thing as it comes up rather than really learning from it dealing with the legacy mental health legacy of it uh, and using it as a as a springboard to a, a, a better way of relating to one another and of operating as a society
0: well thank you that that seems like a as a good, good a point to to, to end on and, and i really appreciate you bringing that uh insight that you've gained through all those years of working in northern ireland and and experiencing you know firsthand that that process you know you mentioning about as a child etc and uh, um and that i think that call to uh use this as an opportunity to sort of repair and rebuild mm-hmm. and, and really rethink uh, how we live, I think, is is is, is really important, and and I'd be a risk of me if I didn't close by just mentioning what I should have mentioned up, up when I started was you will actually be uh, coming over from uh, from Northern Ireland to the States uh, later in this year. You're taking on upper position at, at Keene University in in New Hampshire uh, to continue uh, uh, your work around uh, uh, conflict and uh, and the like. So uh, hopefully that that makes an opportunity for us to meet up face to face a little easier. And, and who knows, maybe we'll get to share a stage uh, again sometime in the future.
1: So like thank you very much, Peter.
0: Thank okay. you. It's thank been a you. real pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Stay well, stay safe. Thank you. Yeah. Bye.
1: Bye-bye.